Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. This week, we're going to talk about denying the obvious and claiming that mass shooters have no motive. I'm going to give you a little workshop, a little vignette on what borderline personality disorder actually looks like in a real family. I'm going to relate to you a real situation that I heard about recently. And this is something you're going to want to get a pen and a notebook for. And, um, well, I have at the top here that we were going to talk about how woke ruins everything, but that's more of a theme of this show rather than a specific um, particular topic. So let me tell you what we're actually going to talk about. <laughs> well, things. You'll just have to wait until the end of the hour to find out all the things. Let's go. First up, another Twitter ban. So Twitter finally got me, got my personal account again. And I want to start before I tell you about that, I mean, because there's not much to tell. I want to show you what someone else who got banned had to say about it. And I also want to anticipate an objection. Why do I care? Why do I talk about this? Why are we talking about social media drama on the show? Because Twitter, for better or worse, has become one of the public squares. It's used by media. It's used by politicians. It's used by people with cultural power and power to influence. And yes, it's also addictive, and it's fundamentally broken, and it prods all users into bad behavior, including me. But it is important. It is where a lot of people get alternative news sources. It's where people can figure out exactly what the media narrative is very quickly that they'd like you to pay attention to today. And this platform's bans are arbitrary, capricious, and Kafka-esque. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better because we've just had news that Elon Musk has backed off of buying Twitter, and I believe because he believes that Twitter is not being honest about how many of its users are real people and how many of them are bots. Let's talk about bigger people than me. This past week, Twitter banned both Dave Rubin, commentator Dave Rubin, and psychologist Jordan Peterson. Here's what Jordan Peterson had to say. This is, by the way, I encourage you to watch this entire video. Uh, he's teamed up with The Daily Wire. It's on YouTube. The entire video is 14 minutes long. We're not going to show you the whole thing, but I'm going to give you a uh, taste here. Hello, everyone. A few days ago, I penned an irritated tweet in response to one of the latest happenings on the increasingly heated culture war front. In response to the decision of an actress, actor named Ellen Elliot Page. I am employing this awkward and impossible naming style because it is now apparently mandatory and am probably doing it wrong nonetheless, as you're doing it wrong is the whole point of what has been made mandatory. But also, I'm trying to make a point. I've essentially been banned from Twitter as a consequence. I say banned, although technically I have been suspended. But the suspension will not be lifted unless I delete the hateful tweet in question, and I would rather die than do that. And hopefully it will not come to that, although who the hell knows in these increasingly strange days. What was it that I said that caused such a fuss? 
and that fuss is just beginning. And even more importantly, and complexly, what exactly was it that I said that resulted in the ban? Here is the tweet in question. Remember when pride was a sin? And Ellen Page just had her breasts removed by a criminal physician. And then a link to a story that detailed out the happenings. The response from Twitter, quote, Violating our rules against hateful conduct. You may not promote violence against, threaten, or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. By clicking delete, you acknowledge that your tweet violated the Twitter rules. Delete. If you think we've made a mistake, Submit an appeal to us. Please note that, should you do so, your account will remain locked while we review your appeal. And I'm not taking down that tweet or acknowledging that my tweet violated the Twitter rules. Up yours, woke moralists. We'll see who cancels who. Twitter's a rat hole in the final analysis, and I have probably contributed to that while trying to use, understand, and master that horrible, toxic platform. No doubt, I owe some apologies for that, and I'm trying to learn, but it's a relief, in some real sense, to be banned. And I regard it under the present conditions as a badge of honor. I love waspish Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Good for him. He's exactly right. Notice how he got the Kafka-esque in there. Should you choose to delete your tweet, they won't tell you, of course, exactly what you did that violated their rules, but they'll tell you that you did. And if you object, it will cause you even more problems. Suspended. I, I said this on Facebook the other day. Stop, stop allowing companies like Twitter to co-opt your language and get you to repeat dishonest euphemisms. So one of, one of the things we should stop doing is stop saying that Twitter suspended someone. They're not suspending. They're banning. They're banning. Jordan parsed it out a little bit there. I'm not going to parse it. They are banning people. Suspension, even though you, know, you may know what it means, it carries connotations. It carries psychological weight, and it means eh, maybe temporary. Maybe they'll go back on it. No, they won't. And I'll show you how they're not going to go back on me. So what did they get me for this week? Here's my tweet. This was in response. I, I don't remember now, and I cannot know because my account has been locked, so I can't even search for it. I can't uh, know exactly what the woman said that I was responding to, but what I recall was that she had come to one of my threads where I was talking about the fact that Roe versus Wade was not the end of women's rights in America, and it was not this, you know, it was not how it was made out to be. And she said something to me like, um, you know, women are now being forced to have babies and men have to take responsibility for getting women pregnant. It was something in that neighborhood. This is what I wrote back. Single motherhood can be prevented by women. And I gave some options. One, not being promiscuous. Two, waiting for marriage. Three, choosing men who will commit. But that would mean not 
being a self-actualized girl boss slut with no apologies, naturally, you find this unappealing. Insulting? Yep. I meant it. I meant to be snide and insulting. Absolutely. Harassment? No. Absolutely not. This is what I get on Twitter. I get accused of hateful conduct. Or, because they won't tell you, they just say, here's our hateful conduct policy, and it's got all of those things in it that Jordan listed off, plus a whole bunch more. They refuse. They absolutely refuse to tell you ex exactly what you said that violated the policy. You're just supposed to know that you were bad. So it was either harassment or incitement of violence towards someone, quote, based on their identity. Twitter has an absolute fixation on this, based on your identity, based on your identity. In fact, when you report a tweet from someone else, they force you to go through a filter where you say, yes, this harassment is coming because of my identity or no, it's not. And if you don't think that those two are weighted in priority, think again. I didn't do any such thing. I did insult her. Absolutely. But I did not harass her or target her. I decided to try appealing. Here's what I said. I, <laughs> my mistake, of course, was believing that I was speaking to a human being uh, who had any respect or decency at all. So I wrote, I do not believe that the tweet for which Twitter suspended me constituted hateful conduct or harassment and certainly not based on someone's identity. It appears that someone decided this because they did not like or approve of what I said. This is an impossible standard for any Twitter user to stay within. I did not harass any Twitter user. I did not target anyone. I did not threaten or encourage violence. I have never done such things, despite Twitter claiming I have done so twice in the past. Would you please be willing to reconsider my suspension? Every day I see people on Twitter who truly are threatening violence, following specific users, targeting them for pylons, etc. Some of that has been directed at me. There are examples of that truly bad behavior on any platform. But even if Twitter employees strongly disapprove of my opinion or my tone, I think a fair-minded reading would have to concede that I did not take any of the, quote, hateful conduct actions that Twitter has claimed regarding my tweet. And yes, here's the last part of it. Yes, I did use this card deliberately because it's Twitter. As a gay man, it does not seem that Twitter accords people in my identity category the same right to speak that it does for other cohorts of people who seem to be allowed much more leeway. It doesn't seem fair. Thank you very much for your time and consideration. What do I get back? Their auto response. <clears throat> And I, I'm sorry, I know that stuff is automated, but I, I do believe that this kind of automated response <clears throat> is itself a provocation. They mean you to experience the fact that even though you took the time to speak like a human and write, they're not even going to acknowledge what you said. You just get the bot answer. So here's what they said. Your account has been suspended and will not be restored because it was found to be violating Twitter's terms of service, specifically the Twitter rules against hateful conduct, which I remind you, listeners, they will not tell me what I did. It's against our rules to promote violence or directly attack, blah, blah, blah. They go on and repeat all the things they claim I did, but I can't know how it is that I did it. Here's the kicker. Additionally, if we determine that the primary purpose of an account is to incite harm, towards others. On the basis of these categories, that account may be suspended without prior warning. Thanks, Twitter. Sit and spin, fuckers. 
passive-aggressive, dishonest, and delighting in it. They love this. They clearly mean to imply that my account was created for the express purpose of harming people. Harm is anything. Harm is what I don't like. He 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 tweeted at me in um in um and in in, in the same tweet he used the word slut and I felt targeted. That's harming someone, I guess. They don't care how many people make violent threats against feminists, against women, against gays who don't toe the line. They don't care how many people in Burlington, Vermont are actually making very thinly veiled physical threats of violence against my friends and against me. Um, and I've talked about that two weeks ago on the show. They do not care. Twitter approves of harassment. Twitter likes harassment. Twitter approves of violent threats and Twitter approves of intimidation. Twitter affirmatively likes these things when they are directed at people that Twitter hates and that Twitter would like to see harmed. Yep, they do. Next topic, no motive. No, actually, <laughs> I've got a segue before we do that. <laughs> let, me, let me set it up a little bit. In the next segment, we are going to talk about how every time there's a mass shooting or a mass murder of some sort, one of the first phrases that we hear is, police haven't found a motive, investigators haven't found a motive. And that gets repeated over and over again. Even as more details come out about who the person was who committed the murders, uh, what kind of family background he came from, if we ever get that, what his job was, we still get no motive, no motive, no motive. As if that meant that we couldn't have any idea at all why he did this. None. The suggestion is that it's just as likely that some 70-year-old retired man in golf shorts could have popped off that way as this 21-year-old kid. We don't know. There's no motive. Didn't say. Drives me crazy. But the woke left, <laughs> the woke left believes there's a motive, but there's only ever one motive, and it's not anything to do with, with well, <laughs> why don't you take a listen? This, this gentleman... I, I can't remember if we've had him on the show before. I think that we have because I remember making fun of him before. His face is unforgettable. I mean, look at him. It could stop a train. Um, but anyway, listen to him. I, I warn you, though, uh, get a bucket. You're going to want to puke. Almost all mass shooters are cisgender men, and for some reason, we don't really talk about men being the primary problem. Can we please blame the patriarchy and not blame mental health? People with mental illness are far more likely to be the victims, not the shooter. Remember, pinning everything on mental health is also a good way to distract you from focusing on the problem of gun ownership. And you know it's a distraction because the people in power who blame mental health don't give a shit about improving access to mental health care. They want you to think that all the shooters are crazy so that they can justify having all their guns. Whatever. I'm not saying anything you don't already know. This Whatever. This is fucking stupid and horrifying. Whatever. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. This is fucking stupid and horrifying. Ugh. Ugh. 
Ugh, he just makes my skin crawl. He's so disgusting. This this type of person is so loathsome. They re- I really, I feel like that wriggly, creepy crawlies all over me with that, that smarmy, fake, nice affect. That soft and feminized voice and all the vocal fry. And we all just know it's stupid and horrifying. Stay away from therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stay away from therapy. Because you're more likely than not to end up with somebody like him or somebody who's in the neighborhood of a guy like this. Men are the problem, he says. Men are the problem. Can we, can we please blame patriarchy? That was, the, that was honest. That was sort of a little mask off moment. Can we please go back to blaming patriarchy? And why does he do this? Well, he may believe it. You know, he may believe that there is such a thing in the United States or the West called patriarchy, which is, in fact, an, a, a pretty much all-powerful system of male domination that is controlling women and, of course, by extension, controlling gay men. I don't know the degree to which he believes that this. Uh, there was a time in my life when I believed it. But there were also times when it didn't make as much sense to me, but I didn't want to re-examine whether I believed it because saying it certainly paid me social dividends. It certainly kept me in the good graces or the better graces of the set of people that I hung around with, which was largely woke left people and radical feminists. Yes, I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And notice that for this guy... The Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the right to, to uh, keep and bear arms, is simply not operative for him. It's not operative. Doesn't acknowledge that we can't just take the guns. We, I mean, yes, we can try, and, 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 and Democrats keep trying, and they have some successes, and they get beaten back in the courts, and they come back and try again. But the Constitution isn't vague on this point. This isn't something that just isn't real because, like... I don't know if I'm not comfortable with it. I don't know if I don't know if the Second Amendment really fits in with the lifestyle I'm trying to cultivate. So anyway, keep that in your mind. Um, we're going to take a break now, okay? Because of patriarchy. But when we come back, we're going to talk about no motive in detail. Do me a favor. Would you please share disaffected on social media give us a plug on facebook give us a plug on twitter or instagram or linkedin or wherever it is and if you're too much of a wimp to do that why don't you just whisper it into your best friend's ear you can do it privately you know god (laughs) see you after the break you know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com disaffected or 
visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. <laughs> you guys can't see this, but in front of me is a monitor where I can see myself, uh, but also I can see the shot that's coming up, what we're going to transition into, and also a few other channels. It's a, it's a mirror of one of Kevin's studio control rooms because he does shots for television. So I'm often seeing it's the commercials that run on these networks silently, and there's... There, <laughs> I'm just thinking, once we actually get some advertisers on this show, I'm going to be on here doing shit like what I'm seeing on there, which is like a row of first pressings of commemorative coins from the U.S. Mint. And there's a finger going like, hmm, hmm. It's very QVC. And I'm going to get up on here like, did you know that in, in stressful times when the market's in fluctuation, that gold has always been a stable commodity? <laughs> I cannot wait. I will read anything. Just pay me the money. Do you hear me, advertisers? Please let me flog your product. Let's get back to serious. So we're going to talk about the latest mass shooting and no motive. And as a summary, I don't know how this name is pronounced because I don't watch television and I don't listen to radio news anymore. I I look at things online, but I can't stand having this on in the background. I'm going to call this young man Robert Cremo. Maybe it's Cremo, but I'm going to call him Cremo. Robert Cremo III, 21-year-old man, is accused of shooting up the Independence Day Parade in Highland Park, Illinois. He killed seven people, at least seven people, and injured at least 36 people. Most of you know this in the U.S. It's been all over the news. Take a look at Mr. Cremo, the third. Isn't he cute? See, those of you who are just listening, he's um, he's dressed in women's clothes. And he's making, it's, it's hard to tell, this is CCTV footage. Uh, I've seen more than just this shot, but he's definitely trying to blend into the crowd as a woman. Now, why would he do that? Well, depends on who you ask. Some people will say that's his gender identity. That's his gender expression. His gender identity has nothing to do with him being a murderer, so why are you even talking about it? Other people will say because he's not stupid, is he? He knows that women are almost never mass shooters, almost never mass murderers. Once in a while, yes. There's a lady who literally went postal. I think she was the woman who provoked the term going postal back in the 90s, I think. Um, postal service employee who shot up and killed a bunch of people at her post office plant or whatever it was. <laughs> but most, but we all know that, that, that when there are mass murders, it's most likely to be men. So he's taking advantage of this. He's, he's small and slightly built to begin with. And he's doing it because he knows that if people believe that they're seeing a woman, even just from a casual passing glance, their danger, the guard against danger lowers psychologically. That's why he's doing it. Now, I wonder, 
I wonder if that dynamic has anything to do with the astonishing number of sexually deranged straight men today, usually middle-aged, who insist that they're women. I wonder if that's ever occurred to them. <laughs> do you suppose that they might know that if they just insist they're a lady and they use feminine markers in their language and put carefully posed photographs in their social media profiles that maybe people will be a little bit more naive, a little bit more welcoming, a little less on guard? I mean, I would ponder that if I were a transphobe. In this shooting, like almost all others, we keep hearing no apparent motive. Police haven't figured out a motive. Shooter hasn't given a motive. As if every violent act can only be explained because of a specific grievance against a specific person at a specific time. Like no one has ever lashed out inappropriately at a bystander. Like no man who got yelled at by his boss ever came home and kicked his dog or hit his wife. Uh, this is not hard. This is not difficult stuff, inspector. <laughs> we act as if outbursts of violence have to have some neon sign obvious and direct proximate connection to the people who were killed on that specific day. Or we simply can't understand it. Well, there is a motive in these murders. In most of them, it's unmanaged rage, obviously, and probably personality disorders. Cluster B, antisocial, sociopathy, psychopathy, narcissism, really unstable borderline. And where do personality disorders come from? Why do people have them? Most of the time, of course, there is a genetic contribution, but there's also an environmental contribution. And almost all of the time, if you look at the backgrounds of mass murderers, you find an extraordinarily abusive and or neglectful childhood. Yet, I see people saying, and I did about this crime here, oh, did he threaten his mother or family to get what he wanted? Like, how did he get all those guns? Was like, was like he threatening them? The assumption is that all parents are ordinary, decent, loving people who care about their kids. It, it just does not occur to people. The first thought that comes into their head is, is very different from the first one that comes into my head. Right? I'm already asking, what is the home life like? What was the childhood like? Average people on the street, they don't do it. Some do, yeah. I mean, there are a lot, a lot of you listening you know, know these things as well. But most people, nah. They assume, you know, it's the bad seed for them. Well, he must have been born that way. He must be a bad seed. Well, the bad seed is real. Born psychopaths are real, but they are pretty rare. They occur, but you're not likely to come across them. You're much more likely to come across a sociopath or a psychopath at all than you are to come across one who is simply born that way. And the same goes with, with most of the cluster B personality disorders. Remember, you don't have to be 
a specific psychopath and only a psychopath and not anything else in order to commit mass murder. Lots of other things can drive a person to mass murder, uh, including other personality disorders, including other things that are not personality disorders. So when I see this conversation, the no motive and, oh, his poor parents, I wonder what he did to them, it just makes me sigh. I'm only a layman, but I can do a, qu a pretty quick criminal profile a guess of a criminal profile in things like this, and I almost always turn out to have done it accurately if I can confirm later with data, almost every single time. And it's not because I'm brilliant. It's not because I'm super smart and I have a show. It's not hard. Any adult of average intelligence can do this. This is, this is baby block stuff. This is red, this is green. When you put them together, you get a color between red and green. It's literally this stupid. <sighs> so, what did I expect to find with Mr. Cremo? I made a list. Look for single mother household or an unstable mother and a father who is either absent, ineffective, enabling, or violent. Major psychological dysfunction in the home, potentially criminal records of other people in the home. Emotional and or physical abuse of the children. That's just a short, quick list of the most obvious common things that you're going to find in the background of a suspect like this. That's your motive. Those things create your motive. It is not a specific and proximate motive. It is a broad-based disposition that allows unmanaged rage and anger that doesn't have anything to do with the targets to be directed at the targets. So what do we find with Robert Cremo III when we look into his background? The following comes from a Fox News article. First quote. The parents of accused Highland Park, Illinois shooter Robert Bobby Cremo III were, quote, a problem, and always the last to pick him up from his after-school sports program, the suspect's former co coach told Fox News Digital. Next quote. I remember the parents more than him because they were kind of a problem, recalled Jeremy Conman, who ran an after-school sports program at Lincoln Elementary School. There wasn't a lot of love in that family, end quote. So what does that mean? There's more to the story. Cremo was 9 or 10 when he was enrolled in Conman's Nerf football program along with his younger brother. Every week the Cremos were the last kids there, and we'd have to call their parents to pick them up, the former coach said, speaking of Cremo's dad, Bob Cremo, 58, and his mom, Denise Piscina, 48. Quote, the kid was really quiet, really soft-spoken, never made an issue, added Conman, who now runs a company in Chicago. Quote, Piscina, however, that's mom, Denise Piscina, Piscina, however, was a handful, he said. She got into it with one of the heads of the program she was yelling, he recalled. It seemed like her kids were a nuisance to her. It seemed like her kids were a nuisance to her. Had to be called so that she would come and pick up her child who she just forgot at the sports program after school. Dad forgot, too. Here's what a neighbor said. <laughs> this is interesting. 
What's interesting about this is it, it the, the neighbor quote that you get in these stories is almost always, he was a really quiet guy who kept to himself. <laughs> you hear it every time. It's like, it's like the reporters are sitting there. Okay, which one of you's got the neighbor covered? We got to have a he was quiet and kept to himself. Surely you got it. Not this one. Quote, the signs were there for a long time, said a neighbor of Cremo. There were always police cars at the house. The parents were arguing and fighting all the time. So what about the parents specifically? Oh, let, let me go back to my list here. Let's see how well I'm doing. I'm doing pretty well. Not a single mother household. Well, actually, I'll go back to my list and brag after I get through a little bit more detail with you. <laughs> Denise Piscina, mom. Remember, she's 48 years old. Piscina is a self-proclaimed energy healer with her company called Trilogy Energy Systems, according to her Facebook page. His father, that is Robert Cremo III's father, Bob Cremo, once ran for mayor and had a local sandwich shop, Bob's Pantry and Deli, that has since shuttered. Quote, the mom seemed unstable while the father was well-liked in the community, locals told Fox News Digital. Rewind, rewind. Oh, what did I write? Unstable mother. Ding! So mom was unstable, was she? Let's take a look at Denise Piscina's social media. Those of you listening can't see it, but this is a close-up photograph of Denise Piscina. I don't know how recent it is, but she appears to be in her 40s. It's a close-up photograph of her topless. You cannot see the nipples, but she is pushing her breasts together to form a lot of cleavage and offering it up to the camera while she's got her head tilted down and looking up in this coy sort of, do you like my breastful bounty pose? I was going to say coquette, but this is, this is beyond coquette. Here's another one. Another picture of Denise. Now, there isn't anything sexually inappropriate about it, but again, you see spaghetti strap coming off her shoulder, head tilted down with the eyes looking up from underneath the eyebrows with tousled hair. It's clearly a come-hither photograph, right? She can do that if she wants, but she looks pretty goddamn silly at her age. Also being married... So mom's probably a slut, or at least she likes to portray herself as a slut online. Oh, I've never met a borderline like that. And way past the age it was at which this kind of behavior is excusable. So yes, I do think her pictures are probably a tell. All these tells of what looks to me like borderline personality disorder. She's described by multiple people in that community as unstable, irresponsible with her children, acts as though her children are a nuisance to her, has to be commanded to pick them up when she leaves them in the afternoon and evenings after school. She puts slutty pictures online in her 40s while she's married. She gets into fights with other parents and the head coach, and her son becomes a mass murderer. 
I, I'm just so judgmental, aren't I? I have no reason to believe she was anything but the most loving, giving mother. God, what a bloody misogynist I am. Here's some information that comes from the post-millennial. I'm going to read to you some of the article. In September 2019, Illinois State Police received a clear and present danger report on the subject, the subject being Robert Cremo III, from the Highland Park Police Department. The report was related to threats the subject made against his family, Illinois State Police said in a statement. September 2019 saw police attend the Cremo home and asked the suspect if he was interested in harming himself. He said no, and the officers took his collection of knives. Later, the suspect's father, Bob Cremo, said the knives were his, that is, dad's, and they were returned to the home. They weren't dad's, though. At the time, no arrests were made, and the family was, quote, not willing to move forward on a complaint. Nor did they, quote, provide information on threats of mental health that would have allowed law enforcement to take additional action. A firearms restraining order was not filed, nor any order of protection. So what about dad? What about Robert Cremo Jr.? Well, here's where we get the, here's the typical neighbor quote. He was so nice, he always gave the kids free candy and treats. <laughs> See, it's probably just me, but I don't think of adults who hand out free candy to children except on Halloween as probably very nice. I usually think they have other motivations, but I'm a cynic. <laughs> Here's more from the post-millennial. Three months after this incident, this incident where... Um, the young man, the suspect, was making threats about wanting to kill everybody, kill his family, kill other people. Three months after this incident, the suspect was able to get a firearms owner's identification card, sponsored by the suspect's father, that is, Daddy Cremo, as the suspect was under 21. The subject was under 21, and the application was sponsored by the subject's father. Therefore, at the time of the, of the firearms owner's identification card application review in January of 2020, there was insufficient basis to establish a clear and present danger to deny the application, police said. Meanwhile, Daddy has been in the, uh, in the news absolving himself of guilt. Here, take a look at Dad. This is Robert Cremo Jr. <clears throat> and now we're going to go to the New York Post. Headline. Cremo dad washes hands of guilt, but talked with son about a mass shooting night before Highland Park massacre. Here's what dad had to say about his son after the inc incident we just described above. Quote, the incident, which led police to briefly confiscate a sword, dagger, and 15 knives from the shooter's home, was just a, quote, childish outburst, and the knives were, quote, just a collection, Cremo Jr. told the Post on Wednesday. That is dad. That's what daddy said. It's just a childish outburst. Knives are just a collection. You know what else he said to the Post, daddy? You know, I used to collect coins in baseball cards. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Here's a little treat for those of you who are John Waters fans. You may recognize that intonation. I'm, I'm kind of doing a parody of um, Chicklet from Female Trouble when they were in high school with Dawn Davenport and getting called out for misbehavior in class. And the teacher says, Miss, Miss so-and-so, what are you wearing? It's just a skirt sweater. <laughs> it's just a collection, you know. <laughs> More from Daddy Cremo. They make me like I groomed him to do all this, he said of critics. I've been here my whole life and I'm gonna stay here. Hold my head up high because I didn't do anything wrong. Robert Cremo Jr. said to the New York Post. This whole thing is not about guns. That's, that's all that the left wants to talk about, and the left includes all, all of the mainstream media, with the exception of Fox News, in terms of the big media. All the media are left today. All they want to talk about is these nasty guns that are killing people. This incident and incidents like it have nothing to do with the implement used to commit the crime. They don't have anything to do with guns. This is about broken families, bad parenting, and a lack of responsibility. And it's also about cluster B personality disorders, which are a natural and common outcome of these circumstances. Do you know a friend said to me, a friend said to me a couple of weeks ago that she was shocked that none of the children in my family grew up to be serial killers. And she wasn't being funny. She wasn't being insulting. Something to think about. Obviously, most children who are abused do not grow up to become serial killers. That's true. However, those who do grow up to become serial killers, almost every single one of them was badly abused. And almost every single one of them was badly abused by a single mother or a mother with a series of dangerous husbands and boyfriends who were violent and brought into the house. Almost every single one. None of this is new information. The field of psychology has known this for at least a century, but ordinary normal human beings have known this for their entire lives. Do you think people in the village before psychology and psychiatry were a discipline, never made the connection between rowdy, trashy, boundaryless families and the children growing up to have low character and violent outbursts. You think no humans ever noticed this before Sigmund Freud? Come on. People ask me a lot, what do we do to stop this? How do we change this? I'm afraid that I cannot tell you there is nothing you can do, nothing I can do, nothing we can do collectively right now. There is no targeted solution that is going to stop this tomorrow or the next year or 10 years from now or even 15 or 20 years from now. This is the world. This is what we're going to get. There is no such intervention. It doesn't exist. Lots of people will tell you that it exists, but it doesn't exist. Because what do we have to change to change this? We have to change parenting at the cultural root. We have to change our culture. 
from the ground up. There is no quick fix policy. There are no gun restrictions that are going to stop this. Guys like this, Mr. Cremo, they don't have guns. They're going to make bombs out of chemicals that you can find underneath your sink. I can make a bomb right now out of ordinary toilet cleaning chemicals that live in my house and live in every house of the people listening to this show right now, very easily. No one would even know what I was doing. There are a million ways to kill a bunch of people. Guns are not the only way to do it. The only way to stop this is to address the problem. The problem is the culture. The problem is the parenting, the lack of genuine self-worth that has been replaced by brittle narcissism and consumeristic acquisitiveness. Our values are corrupted. We have to change our values. This is about psychology and it's about trauma. It is not about the mode or the manner of the violence or the murder. We're going to take a break here, but we would love to have your support. If you would like to help Disaffected stay here and grow, please take a look at patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. If you don't want to sign up to do a regular donation, we gratefully accept one-time, one-off donations at PayPal. You can send us a PayPal at the email address us at disaffected.fm. See you in a moment. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio-only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. Remember how I told you to get a notebook and a pen? If you haven't done so, I'll wait for exactly five seconds for you to do it now. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, let's go. You're not going to need it for a few minutes, but I just wanted to make sure you had it. (laughs) We've talked incessantly about how incompetent and rude young people are in stores as clerks and how they the young people, the incompetent people who do not provide reasonable and decent service act as though the customer, the customer's presence was actually an infringement on their time and inconvenience to them, that they don't want their patronage. I'm going to tell you a story that came to me third hand, second hand, about such a situation. It illustrates not only the rudeness and the lack of, of of decent service from front counter staff, but the fact that the management now, remember, you know, I'm always saying, no, 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 they're not going to get a kick in the butt in the real world, these young people who go out there because they are becoming the managers. This is an example. You will see that the manager is also living in this world against the customer. So the situation starts out, 
this guy is having an interaction with customer service at Best Western. This gentleman travels for work constantly and spends a great deal of money at Best Westerns because he preferentially stays there uh, in their loyalty program throughout the year. This is not an occasional uh, vacation seeker. So, you know, he, he gives feedback when he doesn't like the service. And he sent feedback. I don't have the original because it was one of those enter it on the website kind of things. And, and he talked about the young woman working at the front counter. It, you know, it sloppily dressed, couldn't run a comb through her hair, face metal, nose ring, sullen attitude, you know, the sort of, you know, no, no, like, welcome to Best Western, are you checking in, just sort of, name, you know, it's like dealing with that, what was that show, Little Britain, Compute, it says, no, you know, I hate being treated like that, this gentleman hates being treated like that, so he wrote to Best Western, they asked for his feedback, right, he said, please give us your comments, as, as businesses are wont to do, and he wrote that, he didn't like the rudeness, the slovenliness, and the sloppiness of the front counter staff. And he said something to the effect of the only proper place for nose rings are in barnyards when you're corralling the pigs. Spicy? Yep. But not, not what this response from the manager tried to turn it into. This is the manager of the Best Western writing back to him. Dear so-and-so, Thank you for completing the survey regarding your recent stay at our property. On behalf of our entire team, I would like to apologize for not exceeding your expectations. Your satisfaction is important to us, and we strive to make every guest comfortable and to provide an enjoyable stay. With that being said, your comments in your survey are extremely rude and offensive and will not be tolerated. It is not okay to speak that way and insinuate that one of my front desk associates is a pig because she has a nose ring. I have seen the nose ring and it is extremely small and 100% acceptable by me and the best Western location that I run. I will ask that you please never stay at my property again and to choose another hotel on your next visit to Milwaukee. You have been added to our, all caps, do not rent list. And if you try to book a reservation through any third party or central booking, we will cancel that reservation immediately. Sincerely, Timothy. The customer writes back, Dear Timothy, if you aren't interested in your guests' opinions, don't solicit them. Your front office attire is unprofessional. Your response is equally unprofessional. Your front office attire is a reflection of your attitude. Nose rings are used to keep pigs from rooting. Fact. It obviously hasn't worked out for your hotel so well. Get woke, go broke, dude. Also, you can't ban someone who won't stay at your woke dung heap again ever. Get some manners, pig. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, he's insulting him. But in my view, it's provoked. You ask your customers what their experience was like, and they tell you. He didn't call her a pig. He said the only place that is acceptable for nose rings is a pig yard. M maybe you don't like the tone, Timothy. 
but you're getting real information and real feedback. But it, what did Timothy do? Didn't this? This is an example. The complete rupture of values from my generation and this gentleman's generation, because he's about my age, and young people. Complete rupture. We're not living in the same world. This manager's response was not thinking for even a moment about the fact that this was a paying customer who was saying, I'm somebody who stays in your hotel dozens of times a year. I want to continue doing that, but I want you to know how slovenly and unprofessional your front office staff was. That's real information. Were I the manager, I want to know this. I want somebody to tell me if one of my employees is acting or looking this way. I remember 15 years ago, I hired an employee at my small office, and we don't have very much walk-in traffic, but we had a few in-person meetings, and I had to, and she, she turned out to be a great employee, but in the beginning, she didn't understand that it wasn't appropriate to wear a crop top just below her breasts and show off her navel, and that I wasn't going to have colleagues or clients come into the office and see that. So I had to tell her to cover up, and she did. You know, but that's the kind of feedback that I'd want to get. No, not Timothy. Timothy's friends, his associates are his family. Don't call her a pig. He didn't even call her a pig. So Tim wrote back, or not Tim, the gentleman, the customer wrote back. Yep, he insulted him. I think Timothy had it come. And um, the hotel manager wrote back one more time. You know what? American is the land of the free and you're free to be wrong. Yours misspelled. Have some manners yourself and keep your inappropriate opinions to yourself. You're the only one being rude with no manners. Some people shouldn't go out in public and you're, again misspelled, one of those people. Have a blessed day and you have been blocked. Yours truly, best Western pigs. Bitch, if you're going to be sassy, make it funny, okay? Don't stumble over your words. You're not very smart. You're not a good writer. Don't try to act like it. Stick to sassy one-liners. Leave the professional stuff to people like me. <laughs> All right. Now, <laughs> I guess I swapped these around. But this is a commercial. I am going to be the first advertiser on Disaffected. Kevin, would you show the fabulous prizes? Thank you. Fabulous prize on your screen. I am open for business. If you want to talk about Cluster B, Slocum Consulting is there. You can find it at joshuaslocum.net. I'm offering coaching. I'm offering consulting. I'm offering advice. This is not mental health therapy. I'm not a mental health professional, but I am an experienced layman, and I've dealt with a lot of high-conflict people and personality dysfunction type people. And if you have such a person or such a situation in your life, and you want to talk to someone who both knows this kind of disposition, has been through it, has made the mistakes, and has made some better choices, you and I can talk. And if you want to book something, I'm going to do a little intake with you. It's not, it doesn't take very long, just a couple of things. But I'm going to ask you to tell me a few things. And whether you book with me or not, these are good things for you to ask yourself. I would jot this down in your notebook. If you've got a situation like this, ask yourself these questions. Write out First, write out a short description of the problem. Who's involved? How long has it been going on? What's going on? Number two, what methods, what approaches have you tried in the past 
to get past these problems. And number three, what's your goal? That's probably the most important question, and it's a question that almost none of us ask ourselves. I have to remind myself to ask myself what my goal is when I'm articulating a problem, and I do it constantly in my work when I'm giving advice to consumers. People uh, have a complaint, and they deserve to be heard when they have a complaint. But the point is not simply to articulate the complaint. The point is to change a bad situation into a positive situation or one that you can deal with. What's your goal? Is your goal, well, I, I want this person to treat me better. That's one goal. Another goal might be, I want to stay in relationship with this person, but I can't take them full time. Uh, so my goal is to find a way to put up some boundaries and better be better able to manage that. Your goal might be, I can't take this at all anymore. It's making me absolutely depressed. Um, I feel worthless. I want to get out of it. That might be your goal too. Whatever your goal is, write your goal down. And if you don't know, that's your first job. That's your first job. And if you can't pick one, pick a couple of options. When we talk, I can't solve your problems for you, and I won't tell you what to do. I won't tell you what you're supposed to do or what you should do or what you have to do. You have to come to that decision on your own. And I wouldn't be doing you any good if I simply told you what to do. So even if you make a decision that I wouldn't make and that I might think is foolish, I may tell you that. But I'm not going to try to dissuade you from doing it because you have to experience your life. That is how we come to make better decisions over time. What I will give you is direct honesty. I will tell you how likely I think it is that one plan you may propose will, will work better or worse than another plan. I can help you identify the likely consequences of each action. Because when you make a decision about changing a situation, it may be a better, a better way to describe it than saying that it is solving the problem is to say, you have decided which set of trade-offs you are willing to live with. Because every decision involves trade-offs. There's nothing that comes for free. There is a cost for everything. For every good thing you get, there is a negative consequence as well. How those balance out and how they fit into the positive and negative things in the rest of your life, only you can determine. So if you're ready to make a real change in a troubled or troubling relationship, let's talk. JoshuaSlocum.net. And I'm going to give you an example now of what borderline personality disorder can look like in a real-life family setting. This is sort of a mini clinic, a mini vignette. For this example, this is the story uh, that I heard recently from a friend of mine. And I've known this friend and his family for many years. Large Catholic family. I've changed all the names and uh, identifying information. But this is a real situation. I'm going to tell you who the characters are. We've got Mary. Mary is the mom. She's the matriarch of the family. She's 80 years old. Jeff is my friend. Um... Jeff is middle-aged, so Jeff is Mary's son. David is Jeff's husband. So we've got Mary, who's mom, Jeff, who's her son, David, who's her husband. We also have one of Jeff's sisters in here, Diane. Okay? I will try to keep, help keep all that straight for you. I've known this family for a long time, and I have long suspected that at least two of the members of this family have cluster B personality disorders. And I have suspected that it likely came from the original father that Mary was married to, 
um, because this large family uh, was the product of two marriages. The first, first husband was quite abusive. And you can see it in the personality and the personality styles and the functioning or dysfunctioning of the children who were uh, most affected by and raised by the abusive um, first father versus those who had the experience of a much more stable and loving uh, father who came into Mary's life later. So here's the situation. Diane, Jeff's sister, Mary's daughter. Diane works as the communications manager at a university for what department? Diversity, equity, and inclusion, of course. Mother Mary had her 80th birthday recently, and the family just decided, or maybe it was their 79th, family decided they were going to have a little family get-together, rented a room, brought some food, a uh, private family affair. My friend Jeff, during the conversation, started to talk about how his increasing what he calls anti-wokeness, his political change of mind, how he's seeing things differently, how he can't stay on board with the left anymore. And as an example, he said, the way the left reframes history with things like Nikana, um, Nikana, <laughs> I should jot that down for my drag name list, um, Nicole Hannah-Jones' 1619 project in which she claims that uh, the real founding of the country was 1619 when the first slave came over because this country was founded for slavery. You know, that's, um, it's it's bogus, is, is what Jeff was sharing with the family. Well, Sister Diane, Diane is the borderline, okay? She says, it's not bogus, it's not bullshit, this all happened. You know, we didn't learn about slavery or conquistadors in school, and they don't want our children to learn it either. Why aren't you upset about that? And David, Jeff's husband, couldn't stand listening because you've heard this all before. You know they're not teaching kids true history, right? They're not. They're not teaching on that. We didn't learn it in school, and they're not, they're not learning it, and they're not teaching about slavery. That's not true. It hasn't, it's not true. My generation certainly did. Uh, so Jeff... Uh, excuse me, David, Jeff's husband jumps in and says, you know what, Diane? I don't believe you that you didn't learn it in school. I don't think you're telling the truth. In fact, I know you're not telling the truth. I did learn it in school, and so did you. Diane. Okay, well, what did you learn then? Why did you tell me what you learned, hmm? And I'm doing the affect and stuff because I've spoken to my friends and I, I know this woman. I've been in a, in a room with this woman. I'm not just making this up. This is, you know, this is kind of accurate. So she's taunting. And David says, I'm not going to do this. You just want to prove that I didn't learn anything. That's why you asked. And how dare you pop quiz me? I'm not playing your game. You just want to prove that I didn't learn anything. You treat people and you talk to everybody as if they were stupid. And you were the only smart person in the room, Diane. <laughs> no, I don't. Da -da -da, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then everything sort of quiets down. Fast forward a couple weeks to the more recent past. Oil dissolve. Get on that, Kevin. <laughs> Diane calls her mother, Mary, on the phone. And she says, <laughs> I guess this is just out of the blue, okay? I miss you, Mom, and I need to spend as much time with you as possible before you die. <laughs> Mary, her mother, says, Diane, I don't understand. Where's this coming from? Diane says, I mean, 
I don't even know if I'm going to be invited to your funeral. I'm sure they, and when she says they, she means all of her brothers and sisters. I'm sure they are all going to get together behind my back and make the plans and not include me. They're probably not even going to invite me. They don't want anything to do with me. Mary, the mother, says, Diane, whether you come to my funeral or not is your decision. You're an adult. It's your choice. Diane says, well, look what our brother did at his wife's funeral. He, he asked Jeff, my friend, he asked Jeff to give the eulogy and he didn't even bother asking me. And Mary, the mom, comes back and says, you don't even get along with your other brother. You don't even like him. What are you talking about? You actually treat him like shit. I don't know where all this shit in your head is coming from, Diane. And then Diane puts on the wounded act on the phone and says, can you not use that kind of language? My son Toby is sitting right here and I'm on speakerphone. Do you know that Toby is 24 years old? <laughs> you know what else? Toby is a diagnosed borderline. I wonder where he got it from. So Mary responds to this, Oh, pardon me. I didn't realize Toby's virgin ears were going to hear me. <laughs> and Diane cannot let this go because she's gearing up for a fight. What do you mean all these things in my head? Don't gaslight me, Mom. Mom, do you know what gaslighting means? And again, I'm doing that, that affectation because that is how Jeff described this to me. And I, I can hear it in Diane's voice. Mom lost her temper and she said, what the fuck, Diane? Who do you think you are talking to me like I'm stupid? I don't give a fuck who's sitting there. You got to understand this lady is, is a delightful, elegant woman. She, this is not how she talks most of the time. She really had to be pushed to the brink to talk this way. I'm here for it because her daughter should have heard this from her a long time ago as far as I'm concerned. I love you, Mary. <laughs> um, but she, she had enough, and, and she couldn't take it anymore, and she hung up the phone. And Diane comes back later by text with an apology, and here's your typical borderline apology. I'm sorry if you got upset. Mm -hmm. So what is, what is this show? What, what's been demonstrated here? Paranoid thinking, a desperate need to be the center of attention, whether it's appropriate or not, a need to be right no matter what, and a need to be righteous and be seen to be righteous over and above the other people around you, even if that means being factually wrong and alienating people that you say you love. It shows how to create yourself as a victim, claiming that perfectly normal social interactions are actually assaults against you deliberately baiting family members, spoiling for a fight, and then disclaiming it. Like, I was just saying, I was just saying. And the grossest, as far as I'm concerned, is exploiting her son, exploiting her child, Toby, in order to induce guilt in her mother. You might recall a story that I told several months ago on this show, maybe even close to a year ago, where my mother did almost exactly the same thing. This is a very typical interaction for a borderline. They do this kind of stuff around funerals. My Aunt Mary Ellen died of cancer at age 43, and she left behind three children and a husband. Um, this was years ago. 
Like my mother was with all of her family, she was hot and cold with Aunt Mary Ellen in that side of the family. Sometimes she didn't speak to them for years. Then she wanted to be friends with them and wanted to spend holidays together, etc., etc., usually when she wanted something, and that something usually being money. When Mary Ellen died, my mother went to her funeral, and she came home. I remember that night. She came home and complained that she was ignored at her sister's funeral. Quote, Everyone acted like I wasn't there, like I wasn't even her sister. And this, this became a complaint that went on for years. It never stopped. Never stopped. She keeps telling the story. She complained that she wasn't asked to stand in the receiving line with the immediate family, her husband and children. She complained that she wasn't even mentioned in the eulogy. Every time she'd retell this story... She'd describe her brother-in-law, Aunt Mary Ellen's husband, who lost his wife, a widower. She started getting more and more angry. She started describing him as that bastard. I thought he was a better man than that, that bastard. If my uncle had heard any of the things my mother said about him and his wife when they weren't around, he'd never have allowed her into the door of his home again. This is borderline personality disorder, folks. This is the kind of manipulation that they do. It's full of fragile narcissism, reversal, victim camouflage, making yourself into a victim while you're actually targeting other people and baiting people into fights. And the ironic tragedy of this is that the very thing that the borderline is trying to avoid, abandonment, the very thing the borderline is trying to avoid, she sets about creating. She makes sure it happens. The primary fear of somebody with borderline personality disorder is abandonment. But they behave in such a way that they become absolutely intolerable and they guarantee that everybody does abandon them. That's what's happening in this family right now. I can't say that for sure, but I've seen this progression before. Diane is working herself into no contact status with other members of her family entirely because of her own behavior. And when that happens, she will say that her family abandoned her. She will cry to her friends. She will tell stories. She will make up lies. She will. This is what my mother did to her children. This is why two of her three children don't speak to her anymore. And the third one who does see her occasionally only does so out of guilt. You know, that's what they do. They guarantee that they will be abandoned because they make themselves intolerable. Well, I hope you found that edifying. That's the show, folks. See you next week.
For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell.